Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Good to see you guys here today. My name is Brian. Um, we're going to be meeting next week all over at West Falls Church. So make sure you show up there and not here because you'll be able to get funnel cake and games and everything else. Spend all your money at the fair if you come here. But you won't be connecting with this beautiful group of people and hearing a message. Uh, so you'll want to be there next week at George Mason High School. Uh, Nine o'clock, the doors will open for the Kids Blitz. And then 11 o'clock, we'll be talking about heaven. But today... We're continuing our series, finishing up our series, A Life Worth Living, and finalizing this, this piece that Paul's been talking about, this energizing cycle, as we talk about show this morning. So over the past month, I need to let you guys know, I've developed a condition. And this condition has left me completely oblivious to speed humps. Speed bumps, speed tables, whatever you want to call them. And last weekend, I was driving with my wife and Eli and Isaac in the car, my almost four-year-old and my two-month-old, and we hit a speed bump going 35 miles an hour. Anybody ever done that? Anybody? No? Okay, there's a couple. Thank you for owning up to that. We're driving along this neighborhood, and we're looking for a street number, a house, and all of a sudden, boom, Eli's head pops up. What was that? Joanne's pops up and says, did you see that? Obviously not. If I had seen it, I would have slowed down. Minute goes by and boom, boom, 35 miles an hour, second speed hump. Eli's head pops up. He giggles a little bit. He's really excited. Joanne's head pops up, says something a little less fun. <laughs> Third speed hump comes a minute and a half later. This time, Joanne has caught on to my condition and gives me a one-second warning as she grabs my arm in the door with a death hold and screams, speed hump! And what do I do? I slam on the brakes. Eli gets whiplash. Joanne has less than favorable words for me afterwards. Fourth speed hump comes. Nobody's going to drive with me after this message. Joanne is gracious, gives me a two-second heads up. Speed hump. Hit the brakes this time. Her words and her look create kind of what every husband's dread is as your skin goes cold and the life goes out of you and no longer do I need shocks on the car but I need marital counseling because it's not going well. Here's the reality. We all need people in our lives that are going to call out to us when we've got a speed hump coming we don't see. We all need people in our lives who are going to point out the obvious because when we get distracted, when we're looking for something else, when we've got our mind somewhere... We get going in a direction, we're going to hit things, and sometimes all it takes is one person to point out the obvious. One person there to say, hey, you've got a speed bump coming, and it's going to mess you up. We need that person in our lives that's going to point those things out and get us much further, going to help us overcome these things, because a lot of times all it takes is one person to point out the obvious, to break us free from stagnation and this feeling of being stuck. And that's what we've been talking about the past three weeks is this idea that worthy life and a stuck life are two competing things. When we feel stuck, when we feel stagnant, we feel like life no longer has meaning, no longer has worth. And we want to figure out how to break that cycle and jumpstart our faith, our relationships, and our life. And so this morning we're talking about Paul's final part of his cycle that helps us break free from that stagnation. Paul's been giving us this energizing cycle of know, grow, show through the book of Colossians, which was a letter that was written to a church in Colossae, modern day Turkey, about 30 years after Jesus' life. 
And his audience, the people he writes to, is concerned that their faith was on the wrong path. Maybe their life was going the wrong direction. They felt stuck. And Paul writes them in this letter and says, no, you're on the right path. And when you feel stuck, you need to do these three things. You need to be engaged in no grow, show. Knowing sets the direction. Growing fuels the journey. And sharing makes it meaningful. We're talking about sharing, showing makes it meaningful. We're talking about showing this morning. Knowing who you were created to be sets the direction for your life. Knowing who you're supposed to be also guides you in how you're to grow to become that person. But knowing and growing lose all meaning if we're not showing others that path. If we're knowing and growing in the right direction, we're starting to experience a worthy life. We're going to short circuit ourselves if we're not showing anybody else this path. If we're so focused on ourselves that all we care about is how we're, all the knowledge that we're gaining, all the growth that we're taking, but it never rubs off on anybody else, we're going to short circuit the path and remain stagnant. Who's poured into your life most? Think about that. Who's poured into your life most? Is there a name, a face, a person that comes to your mind? When I think of this question, I often, my mind goes to mentors, right? We love mentors. Anybody ever had a mentor? It's a great relationship. We have some awesome mentors here at Grace. The challenge that I've had is I've been to the classes, I've signed up for the program, and I've actually made one-on-one asks throughout the years, and every mentor has turned me down. Develop a complex very quickly, but everybody's turned me down. But what I've realized over and over again is that as great as mentors are, we can have, I can have, a false expectation from them. That, man, if I just got the right mentor, if I just had that one person, then I would figure this thing out. My life would get going in the right direction. I'd get the right job. I'd know how to live. I'd know what to do if I just had the right mentor. And we think of it like this magic pill. And they're incredibly helpful. But what I've realized is that that's too limited. Thinking solely mentor of who's pouring into your life, showing you the speed humps in life is too limited because the reality is whether you like it or not or whether they like it or not, the people that surround you, the people that are in your life serve as de facto mentors. They're pointing out life to you, whether they like it or not, whether there's an agreement or not, whether it's intentional or not, because everybody in your sphere of influence, everybody you know, is pointing you to a path. They're pointing you in a particular direction. We have to ask ourselves, are they showing you the right path? Are they showing you the right path? If you've been a grace for a while, you've likely heard this phrase, or if you're coming to Next Step today, it's a lunch we have for new people. If you're coming to that lunch, you'll likely hear this, and we've said it over and over again. Your relationships determine the direction and quality of your life. Your relationships determine the direction and quality of your life. If you want to experience a life that's worth living, you have to invest in your relationships. You have to be intentional about them. Who you surround yourself with. And this message isn't about kind of finding the right people, the right friends, and all that stuff. Actually, what Paul is challenging us to, challenging you to, is to not just look for the right people, but for you to become the right person. This morning, you're challenged to be the right person for someone else. To be that person that is pointing out those speed humps and saying, hey, there's something coming. There's a better path to go on. You've got a bump ahead of you, and I want to help you avoid it. Are you becoming the right person, like my wife, who's able to point out the speed humps, although maybe one or two seconds ahead of them, point them out, she served as an extra set of eyes. Are you willing to serve as an extra set of eyes for somebody else? Paul, in this final portion of his letter, says that we are to show others the way. 
However, we feel stuck, we feel stagnant when we get isolated, right? Like if, if relationships are so important and they determine the direction and quality of our life, wouldn't we get isolated, we get stuck. Most of us think isolation in terms of the number of people. Like if I don't have a lot of friends, I'm isolated. But it's also, we get stuck, we feel stagnant when we're isolated from the needs of other people. When we're isolated from the needs of other people. What I mean by that is when we're so focused on what we need, where we're going, what we need to accomplish. We want other people to celebrate our behalf. They want, us, want them to focus on us. What ultimately happens when we're trying to get something from other people, we're focused inwardly, is it pushes others away. When we're so focused on ourselves, it actually pushes others away. And now we're isolated in terms of number of people, but also the needs of people. And what Paul calls us to is to be concerned with the needs of others, to be outwardly focused, to realize the concerns of others to connect with them, to pour into their lives, to invest in them, to celebrate with them. Because when we're focused outward, actually the more number of people come into our lives. Because people like being around somebody that's not focused on themselves. But we get isolated and we get stuck when we're focused on ourselves and cut off from the needs of other people. And so Paul says you've got to surround yourself with people. And you need to be for them. You need to be in their corner. You need to get their backs and do this thing as a community. Life, the way it was meant to be lived, is focused on others. Relationships make all the difference. When we know somebody has our back, it changes everything, right? Like it makes us more resilient. It makes us more adventurous. We're willing to jump out and try something new. When somebody has our best interests in mind, it makes life meaningful. It changes everything. And that's why we're told to get rid of anger. Last week we talked about it. Get rid of anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language. We're told to get rid of these things because they separate us from others. They divide us. They put us at odds with other people. And instead, Paul says you need to wear these things. Compassion, gentleness, kindness, forgiveness, and love. Because when we wear these things, when we put them on, they take shape inside of us. We're renewed in God's image. Then all of a sudden, we're put at peace with others. And that brings others into our lives and breaks us free from stagnation and we're no longer stuck. Paul, in another letter, says when we've experienced that peace, when we've been put at peace with others and with God, what we're challenged to them, what we're compelled to do is to point others to the path of peace, to show others this new path, to point them out. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning out of the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and we're going to read that now, if you'll follow along with me. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us as many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. Paul is challenging us to speak, to show others the path, but there's an order to this path. The way that we do this has an order to it, and the order is very important. You have to speak to God about people before you speak to people about God. You have to speak to God about people before you can speak to people about God. And we'll talk about that second part of it, speaking to people about God, because for a lot of us, that like freaks us out. And Paul gives us a very clear and easy way to do that that's going to come naturally. And so, but we're going to start with you have to speak to God about people because Paul begins with prayer. And prayer is so important and intentional because it changes something inside of us, changes something in our hearts. It's quite powerful. 
We began this morning's service talking about answers to prayer and prayers requests. And why we pray is because when we know somebody who has a need, needs to find a better path or is like lacking something, in need of something, and we know somebody who has the resources, right? Or we know somebody that knows the right way or the path to get to where they want to go. What do you do in life? You connect them, right? You network. You connect the person in need with the person that has the resource. And prayer is all about that. Holding somebody up in our mind in our prayers that has a need. And believing that God has the resources to meet that. And so we're connecting them in prayer. And that changes something inside of us. Changes something inside of us. Dr. Gupton, uh, one of my ministry school professors in undergrad, uh, taught a number of classes about ministry conflict and resolution, personalities and all those things. Had us take a series of four personality tests in this one class. Four personality tests. Really got to know myself at that point. Got really messed up by it. It was very confusing. I don't like being put in a box. I didn't like the results that I got. So I went up at the end of class and said, okay, Dr. Gupton, tell me where I'm supposed to go with my life. I've got all this information, all these tests. Tell me what it is. He's like, okay, you're exactly like me. You've scored the exact same way I do. I've got to ask you a question. You don't like people, do you? <laughs> that was his quote to me. I was like, okay, well, that's good. This is a great start. He's like, you don't like people, do you? I was like, not really. He's like, don't go into ministry. I was like, oh, man. So here I am. I do like you guys. What he was saying, and we'll get to the prayer piece in a minute, but what he was saying was that you can be so task-oriented that you can steamroll people. You don't care about the feelings, emotions, the words that you choose because you're focused on the task. It's not that I don't like people, I don't love people, although I am a very big introvert. I do love people. But from that day, the prayer that changed in my heart was, God, help me to love people more. Help me to focus on the needs of others more than my own needs. Help me to focus on people more than the task. Change something within me. And it began to get very practical. Where throughout the week, I would pray for people by name. And the needs that they had. Connecting them to somebody that I believe had the resources. Connecting them. Praying for them. Lifting them up. Because when we do that, something changes within us. It actually increases the love in our heart for them. And when we're praying for people who have a need. Or somebody who needs to find a better path. Or somebody that we know that has... Uh, something that they want from God. When we're lifting them up specifically, thinking about them, it changes something within us. It creates love in our heart. And when we love somebody, people realize it. Right? When you love somebody, they know you've got their best interests in mind. They know you've got their back. And all of a sudden, you've earned the right to speak into their life. You've earned the right to help point them to a better path, to look at them and say, there's a speed hump coming. Let me serve as an extra set of eyes for you because I want what's best for you. When you've got love in the heart, it changes everything about that relationship. Prayer also produces humility in us. When we're praying for people specifically, it produces humility in us because it gets us focused outward. Gets us focused outward. And all of a sudden, we're no longer focusing on ourselves. We're no longer focusing on my way, my preferences. We're not praying that the other person would be just like me or do the things that I would do. We're praying their best interests in mind. I was at a Home Depot workshop last weekend. They do Home Depot workshops for kids. Anybody take a kid to a Home Depot workshop? First Saturday of every month. It's very exciting. They're great. They're free activities. And so I take Eli to this. We've been to about seven of them, and I absolutely love them. Eli is great at these things. He is amazing at putting this stuff together. It usually includes like seven or eight pieces of wood, glue, nails, screw, hammer, screwdriver, obviously, paint. 
And it's a lot of fun. It's a great place on a Saturday morning to spend 30, 40 minutes building something. So last weekend, we created a rocket ship pencil holder. It was very cool. Eli loved it. He's super into rockets and space shuttles. And so he's, you know, he's got this space shuttle discovery right there and he's building it and he's painting it and everything else. But when I look up to like survey the landscape, there's like 20 other families there. This is something that I see over and over again. It's very exciting. And if I'm not careful, it'll rise up in me. DC is filled with type A people, a lot of type A people. And when you mix a type A adult with a three-year-old who's building a craft what do you think happens? So we've got the dad, and I'll say usually dads and myself's in there too, but moms are much more gracious. But dads, for some reason, are like, son, you're holding the hammer wrong. Son, you got to swing that a little bit higher. Why don't you put it up on the table to hit it? Why don't you put it on the floor to hit it? Son, you're taking too long to screw that, da- that screwdriver in. You cannot mix the colors. That's one thing I've learned from parents. You cannot mix the paint colors whatsoever. With a three-year-old, you can imagine how that goes. You just don't mix the paint colors. And so you get this adult, type A, and almost invariably, 10 minutes in, this parent's giving all these instructions. The kid's like starting to freak out. They feel overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, the parent goes, fine, sit over here. I'm going to do it. And it turns from like a kid workshop to a parent workshop. And you see this 40-year-old there making a rocket ship pencil holder, painting it just the right colors, putting it together in just the right way. And I'm looking at this situation, and I'm thinking about this message, and I'm going, what we do oftentimes is we want people to do things the way we want them to do it. And the question is, as we're pointing out the path to people, whose path are we pointing out? Whose path are we pointing out? Whose path are we showing them? Do we hope that they'll follow our way? Do you think they'll follow our knowledge, the way that we've grown, the path that we've done? Do we want to put life together for them, faith together for them, and hand them a product? Or allow them to go through a process, to discover a path? Because the reality is, others only find a life that's worth living if they're renewed in God's image, not my image. If they're renewed in God's image and not my image, and too often, I want people to see how good and how far I've come on this path. And what that does is it leads me to want to create somebody that's just like me. Or I can get stuck thinking, man, I haven't made it far enough on the path. Nobody should follow me. But the reality is, is if we know who we're pointing people to, if we know what path we're pointing people to, no matter how far along on that path you are, you're pointing them in the right direction. Because Paul tells us to point them to Jesus, not to ourselves. It's not my path. It's Jesus. So how do we show others this way? How do we show them this path? Read again Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Paul says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. I need to make a little caveat here because as I read Live Wisely Among Those Who Are Not Believers, I have to realize that there's some people that don't believe in this room. Grace is about 35% unchurched. And so there are some people that don't call themselves Christian. We're grateful that you're here. But you may be here going, well, this message doesn't apply to me. And out of Paul's letter, there's some truth to that because he's certainly talking to Christians and raising the bar for those who follow Jesus and say, hey, when you think about how you're living, you need to live wisely because we are representing Jesus. We're representing a faith. We're representing a path that we're calling other people to. And so we have to live wisely and act wisely. It's a very high bar. But I hope over this series and this message, whether you believe in Jesus or not, that you're realizing that what Paul is calling us to applies to everybody. 
He's calling us to peace with others through gracious and kind communication, through our words. He's telling us not to miss an opportunity to show other people a path to compassion, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, love. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, these things change communities. They change lives. They put us at peace with others. They're beneficial. They're reliable and practical whether Jesus is part of the equation or not. But we do believe as a church, if you follow Jesus, that, we, that Jesus is the epitome of all these things. That if we want to understand true compassion, gentleness, kindness, forgiveness, that we have to look to Jesus. Because he, he exemplified them perfectly. Not only that, that through Jesus, what he has done, he enables us to experience them also, to grow into their likeness, that we might adequately reflect God. That we might become the people we were created to be and we might live the life that we were created to live. Here's the reality. Whether we believe in Jesus or not, we are showing somebody a path. You are showing somebody a path. Whether you want to or not, whether they like it or not, you are showing somebody a path. When they look at your life, what you say, what you do, your values, your relationships, they see a path. They see a path. The question is, are we showing the right path, the path we want to show? What does Paul mean when he says live wisely? Here he's talking about wisdom and it brings us full circle with Colossians 1.9. The way Paul opened this letter, he said he, he prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we, through wisdom we might live a life that is worthy. Wisdom. Living wisely changes something. Direction determines our destination as we talked about these past three weeks. Living wisely has to, be, has to do with knowing your destination. You have to know where you're going, who you were created to be, and what you want for your life. Direction determines destination. But it's not only the destination, but you have to have the right set of directions to get there. You have to be doing the right things. If you're walking in the wrong direction, no matter how fast you walk, you're never going to get to the right destination. If you're walking in the wrong direction, you're never going to get to the right destination. How many of you have heard the statement, Teacher, experience is the best teacher. Experience is the best teacher. Experience is awesome, right? So Eli loves power tools. I mentioned the Home Depot workshop last week, but I build things around the house and I love having Eli participate with me. And over the past six months, he's almost four, I've been allowing him to actually use a drill with me. And so nice electric drill with the drill bit in and I'm showing him the safety. You know, I'm standing behind him, holding over him, always point down in between your feet or away from your body because the drill bit and the body don't mix, right? They just don't go well together. And so I'm trying to teach him this safety and we're building something two weeks ago in the backyard and I step away to the shed to get something. And after a few minutes, well, probably like 30 seconds, I'll give myself some grace. About 30 seconds, I hear this blood curdling scream. Something you need to know about Joanne and I is Joanne is kind of the, the reactor in the relationship. Like if something happens, she's like, oh my God, you better go get him. And she's covering her eyes and freaking out. What that initially does in me is swing me the other way, right? Like, so I'm the underreactor in the relationship. If she overreacts, I underreact. There could be blood everywhere, but if she's overreacting, I'm like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Let's calm down. We've got to bring some calm to the situation. Let's slow this thing down. This day, I heard that blood curdling scream, and I've had the experience of a drill bit coming in contact with your body, and eventually what goes through my mind immediately is this, this could be very bad. And if this is very bad, then Joanne and I are going to have a very bad day. 
I'm going to have other lessons to learn. I run. I see him. He's on the patio because I'd give him a piece of scrap wood to drill into, you know, because I don't want him to ruin my project. And so he's drilling into this scrap piece of wood, and I run up, and I see him there screaming and drill bits in his leg. It's not as bad as you think. Take your breath back in. It had slipped off that piece of wood, hit his leg, but got caught in his pant leg. Very good, very good. But if you've ever ran a drill into a piece of cloth, what happens? It spins it up, and it did tighten that piece of pant leg around his leg so tight that it just freaked him out and screamed bloody murder. And so I run, you know, with three-year-old, the, the conversation that we have when he gets hurt anytime is, is there blood? He's like, no, no blood. Is there, is there a cut? Is there a scratch? No, no cut. So, you know, we... We put the drill in reverse and we back it out and loosen up the leg. And I, they're comforting him and trying to make sure he's okay and not scarred too much for life. It's a harsh lesson, right? That's a harsh lesson. I've had to learn that the hard way. And that's why it ran through my mind immediately. But here's this three-year-old that's learning from experience because experience is a good teacher, but it can be a very harsh teacher. Experience can be a very harsh teacher. We do get wiser the longer we live and the more experiences we have. But I don't know how many times those experiences in my life have left scars, pain, regret, baggage that I never carry around with me. Experience can be a very harsh teacher. It's not always the best way to learn. So Paul is telling us whenever possible, show others a better path before their path, the experience of their path leaves scars on them before they experience the regrets of that path that they're on. We should be showing other people that there is a better way to live. There is a better path to walk on. We should be living in such a way when he talks about living wisely, attractively and graciously. We need to be living in such a way that people look at our lives and there's something about our lives that point them to Jesus, that point them to God. Something that they look at and they say, that's the way life was meant to be. That's the way life was meant to be. And all of a sudden, we're pointing people to a path that is focused on Jesus. And when they get to that point, they realize, I was created to experience and live life like that. That's what Paul means by talking to people about God. Living in such a way that people are drawn to where we're going, they see a new path. They see a path that steers them clear of the speed humps of life, that steers them clear of the regrets, the pains, and the scars that experience can leave them with. We need to take time to show others this path, to point them to something beyond ourselves. But it means having their best interests in mind, helping them see trouble coming, helping them to get out of the way of trouble. This morning, there's two ways that we can begin showing others a new path. Pray intentionally and live intentionally. Pray intentionally and live intentionally. Our prayers create love in our hearts for those people around us. It creates love in our hearts. It changes something about the way we act around them. And secondly, we need to live intentionally. Oftentimes, there's a lot of things in our lives. We want the best for somebody else, but then we're doing things that sidetrack that. We're distracted. And so there's oftentimes things that we need to stop doing or start doing to help point people to a better path. So what I want us to do this morning before we leave, either on your bulletin or on your phone, We're going to pray intentionally this week, and I want you to write down two names that you can pray specifically for. Two people that you need to show a better path to. 
that you're praying that God would open up their eyes. It doesn't have to be a non-Christian. You can be a follower of Jesus, still need to see a better path. You still need to see the speed humps in the path ahead of you. For me, it's Josh and Chris praying specifically for them. Josh is a believer. Chris is not. Help me, God, to serve as a voice, a positive voice that puts them at peace with others, puts me at peace with them that they might see a better path. And then secondly, live intentionally. Write down two ways or two things that you need to either start doing or stop doing to be able to show them a better path, to be a better example for them. They can be off the traits that we talked about last week and this week, gentleness, kindness, compassion. For me with Josh, it's being a better listener, a more compassionate listener. For Chris, it's the challenge to stop giving her excuses, making excuses for her behavior, to call her to account, show out the inconsistencies and in what she wants to go, the destination she wants to reach and the direction she's taking. Write down two names that you can be praying for this week and then two ways that you might be able to be a positive influence to point out a better path to them. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, we come to you this morning grateful that you have revealed a path to us. The Lord, through knowing you, through growing into who you've created us to be and showing others a better way, that we can experience an energized life, that we can create and experience a life that's worth living. I pray in this room that we would all understand the destination that we want to go and that you would help us to make the right decisions and directions to get there. Heal us from all the scars, pains, and regrets that experience has taught us. And help us to be those people that are there for others who need an extra set of eyes, that we might bring healing and hope to those around us. In your name. Amen.